aren't going to find out who did it. But they'll make up a scapegoat, send him to detention, and make us all believe it. It'll be 9-11 all over again. Will you shut up about 9-11? Kyle, why are you so afraid of the truth? Because anybody who thinks 9-11 was a conspiracy is a retard. Oh, really? Well, did you know that over one-fourth of people in America think that 9-11 was a conspiracy? Are you saying that one-fourth of Americans are retards? Yes, I'm saying one-fourth of Americans are retards. Yeah, at least one-fourth. Let's take a test sample. There's four of us, you're a retard, that's one-fourth. There are so many people who know the truth, Cal. Uh, Butters! Hey, fellas! Butters, do you think 9-11 was just a plot by some angry terrorists, or do you think there was some kind of cover-up? Well, I heard that 9-11 was caused by President Bush. Aha, you see? Where did you hear that? From Eric. I rest my case. Butters, you don't really believe that, do you? Well, I mean, you never know. The government does some pretty spooky things. The government and the corporations headed by the Jews that carried out 9-11. That's right, Butters. God damn it! You see what happens when you spread this stupid crap, fat ass? What, people see the truth? Can I go now? You guys are blind! I can't believe that everyone here is just buying into what they're told by the media! I'm gonna go find out the truth. I'm gonna blow the lid off this whole 9-11 conspiracy once and for all! Oh, no. Is it wrong for me to ask questions? Is it wrong to seek the truth? I can't just blindly accept their version. I can't base my logic on proof. Almost all the evidence points one way. But I'm like Charlie Sheen and Gloria Stefan. I need to know what really happened on 9 11. 11, 11, 11, 11. What really happened on 9 11? Of course. It's so obvious. How did we not see it before? For show and tell today, I have brought my shocking PowerPoint report on the truth behind the 9-11 attacks. Oh, Christ. We are told to believe that the fire from the jet fuel melted the steel framing of the towers, which led to their collapse. But did you know jet fuel doesn't burn at high enough temperature to melt steel? We were told the Pentagon was hit by a hijacked plane as well. But now look at this photo of the Pentagon. The hole is not nearly big enough. And if a plane hit it, where's the rest of the plane? Whoa. So now, the inevitable question. If terrorists didn't cause 9-11, who did? Remember that there are, in fact, two towers. Two minus one is one. One, one, eleven. Two minus one is one. One, one. And there are nine members on Silverstein's board of directors. That's nine, one, one. Nine, eleven. And take two minus one plus nine, eleven, and you get twelve. Which leads us all to the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks. Kyle. Welcome to The Machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Welcome back to The Machine, everybody. And Jeff Rowe, I think we figure out 
Who did 9-11? We just, we just heard it. Kyle. It was Kyle. It was Kyle. Kyle did 9-11. Crazy, right? All these years, we've been wondering who did it. Who would have thought it would have been the Jews? Oh. Too far? All right. All right. Too far. Too far. But here we are again. Jeffro, everybody's been asking us since we released the first episode of the 9-11 episode, when are you guys going to do another one? Um we are flattered by all of our listeners and everybody who continues to listen. Our numbers are continuing to grow, as we always say here. But we're, we're doing our best, guys. Yeah. We're <laughs> we're getting these things out to you as fast as we can. We wanted to make sure that we gave you guys good quality content, not just throwing something, cobbling something together, you know, in an effort just to produce material or produce content. So. Exactly. We're not Disney. We're not just going to throw things out there that are... Uh, you know, just just to get out there to indoctrinate everybody. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just putting information out there. You make up your minds, and you know, if we groom, it wasn't purposely done. We're just trying to trigger critical thinking, right? That's right. So, what's Cartman say? I just can't use your logic for my proof. <laughs> Something, like Something like that. Something like that. And we also heard in the beginning with, with the clip that you know. One out of every four are retards. So, if that's a politically correct term, right? Because these days you can't say. Oh no! Right? Right. So well, I'm probably in that camp then. Hey, <laughs> you know what? You know what I find interesting though. It, it in humanity we use words to demonize people that we just don't understand. When we should be demonizing the true villains out there, right? I, I don't get it. I don't understand. How can you believe that critical thinking? That's crazy. You're a retard. How? How? What? Right. What? Doesn't this, make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Language at this point in time seems to be very loose. Not a lot of things make sense. Well, with the grooming that's going on, they're trying to make everybody loose lately. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jeffro, nine eleven. Here we go again. Um, moving on from what the last episode was about, we talked about the Pentagon and uh, the different financial records that was that were that were in a pentagon for this that and everything else what are we going to go into with this one right so for for a light outline we're kind of our goal with with this episode is last episode we kind of focused a little bit with the pentagon and sort of the elements of the what happened as 9-11 was just happening very you know the very beginning sort of an introduction on this episode we're going to focus on some of the eyewitness eyewitnesses at the at the towers and some of the personal testimonials that these people have been speaking on which a lot of these videos and clips that you introduced to me and mm-hmm. when we introduce these these clips to you guys out there you if you're even half as blown away as I am whenever I heard some of this stuff this is going to be a very interesting episode. Right. Contrary to what Cartman said in the beginning here with a little clip, which, by the way, we try not to blow the whistle on us. We don't own the rights to a lot of these clips, but we're just sharing it. So, I mean, if they can't handle it, fuck them anyway. Uh, but we are the, the proof, so to say. We are going to go off the proof, and the proof is in the pudding, right? Right. Well, I'm somebody who really believes in testimonials just because I've always kept a mindset that a person's truth, whatever that truth is, is reality. 
you know, there's this, you know, in the paranormal world, there's always this example of two people standing shoulder to shoulder, looking up into the sky and one person seeing a UFO and the other one isn't right. And whenever you analyze that information, you could say one person's lying. One person is telling the truth. But in reality, whoever's experiencing whatever that experience is, it's real. It's real to them. Sure. Right. So testimonials at the very least on their own may not hold a lot of evidence. But whenever you have multiple people having the same experience at the same time, giving interviews, you know, separate from each other, if you can't see a correlation, then you just you're not wanting to see it. And what's going on is a lot of these people are saying and experiencing the same things over and over and over. But no one's giving them any credence. No one's giving them any, you know, no one's giving them the attention they need because they just don't want to believe that narrative. Right. Well, I mean, at the same time, you get the mainstream media breathing down the necks of the American people telling them what they were told to tell them, what they were told to sell to the American public. Right. Right. So Almost think, like a script, right? Is it, well, I mean, go back and listen to our media episodes. I mean, we give proof that a lot of these new pro- news broadcasters and, and media outlets are very much so scripted. Absolutely. So, Jeffro, a good example of one of these things and uh, one of the videos that I showed, I I'd shared with you was uh, a firefighter. Many firefighters were speaking out after um, 9-11, after the attacks happened or quote-unquote attacks happen right uh so they they naturally you know if their fire breaks out or explosion or whatever who who do you call well you call the emergency authorities which I mean, they lost a lot of brothers and they wanted to know why absolutely and they lost a lot of brothers even after the fact and yes. we'll get into that later but uh right now uh there was a testimony of a firefighter talking about an explosion in one of the towers i believe it was tower two if i'm not mistaken was the first or second tower not i'm not exactly sure I, from one of if we're Speaking on the same clip, I believe it was the first tower that they were got into. They they set up a command center in the lobby, and they were working their way up to get up the stairwell. And all of a sudden, they heard explosions. Plural. Which, it's just crazy because I mean, again, keeping in mind that the towers they there was a sub basement, so it was when you're looking at the towers. It, they don't just go up. They go down also. The structure goes into the ground, seven floors. We talked about this in the last episode. The planes the planes hit not at the base of the towers, but what what floors? Like right around the 80th floor or something like that, they said? Yeah, it's almost above three quarters of the building. There's, there's 110 stories, I believe, right, in, in the tower or something like that. Something like few, that. A few, you know, few floors we're, more than 100. We're not going to look this shit up for you guys. If you, if you want to you get into those details, you know, go ahead and, and check it out. Look it up online. Well, I, I think maybe the reason why you're trying to point this out is because he describes an explosion that comes up out of the elevator shaft right. from the bottom up, which if there was an explosion that high up in the building... Fire rises. Yeah, heat heat rises. Heat rises. So you would think if there was any sort of explosions or any sort of escape of pressure, you know, in, in that column, it would be going upwards. But for some reason, he describes in his clip, which we'll play here shortly, somehow the explosion was coming from up underneath and going into the lobby. Right. In the clip, he, he describes what uh, could only be 
what could only be described at as an explosion in the lobby when they, when they make their way back downstairs because they get so far up, right? And he says, you know, this is a lost cause. We're going to die up here. You know, there's no point in, in, you know, us joining the dead and not helping, you know, those who we can help that may be below or whatever. Uh, and, but they start making their way back down. I, or was there like an evacuation um an evacuation call or something, something like that. Uh, but but they, anyway, they start making their way down, and when they get to the lobby, Jeff Rowe, the lobby's gone. The lobby's like, gone. The, the lobby's command gone. centers. They they relocated the command center. Everything. It, it you know we're probably butchering this interview. It'd probably be better just to go ahead and play the clip. Let's play the clip before we fuck this up any further. And even the turnstile was burnt and was sticking up, and they just told us to run. I heard the first um, explosion, and the elevator blew up. And as we were coming out, we past the lobby there was no lobby so i believe the the bomb hit the lobby first and a couple of seconds in the first plane hit so we're standing there in the lobby we're getting all together all of a sudden we hear i look down to my right and the elevators exploded something out of like a bruce willis diehard movie people just come running out of the lot out of the elevators on fire fireball I mean, it was like, what is going on here? There's something's up here. I mean, the plane's up there, now there's fire down here. Uh, people run around all on fire. This is crazy. So we were heading up to the 24th floor of the stairwell, and all of a sudden we heard, Mayday, Mayday, second plane, second plane. Swift, we're looking at each other like, come on, second plane. There's no way there's a second plane. Within seconds, our building got rocked. We got bounced around in the stairwell like pinballs, man. And we just said, you know what? Time to go. We got down to the lobby, and everything was blown out, exploded. Everything was... And we were the only ones in the lobby now. We're going, wait a second here. Where is everybody? Because the building was coming down the outside. They moved to the command post, the World Trade Center, too. So now we're like, we're, 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 no, we didn't get a, we didn't get no, where, where is everybody? We, we're in the lobby. All it looks like it, everything was exploded. Everything was gone. We're like, what is going on here? We didn't know. We were like, this is crazy. But for the ele- for the every window in the lobby to be exploded, I mean, them windows were like as thick as forget it. They were two, three-inch glasses, you know, come on. They exploded out of the lobby, you know, something, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't from the jet fuel. No way. The elevators exploded. They were down from the lobby. The lobby was over here. It, it, that should never have happened. Something would happen there, and that wasn't, that wasn't... <clears throat> We came down, it was. It looked like a bomb went off in the lobby. There was no fire, it just looked like a bomb went off. Alright, so there's a testimonial clip from uh, firefighter John Schroeder, right? John Schroeder, yeah, he was the one that was the, the diehard character there. It was like something out of a diehard movie. I and, mean... And he talks about how there's fire and people coming out of the elevator shaft on the f- lobby ground. On the, on the, the lobby floor. floor. Right? Right. That doesn't make any sense if the fire is 100 stories up or 80 stories up. The plane hit so many stories above. They get, they go down, like we were saying, they go down into the lobby and the lobby's exploded. Right. So from what? From what? What did the lobby explode from? Was the, it the plane right. that hit the other building? And that's going to be that's going to be what people say. Well, the plane hit the other building and caused a shockwave. No, we're talking this guy's describing an explosion. Like it has shit to come was from the inside out. Fire. Right? right? It wasn't like, you know, a sonic implosion where you just shot out the windows and knock some stuff around. We're talking about fire. We're, we're talking about 
An explode. It's a fucking explosion, man. Which is the same thing that the one of the uh, female eyewitnesses talked about before we introduced his clip. They talked about the explosion in the lobby. They, they, they looked like everything was charred from the inside out. There was a fire in the lobby. That doesn't make any sense. Scientifically, physically, it doesn't make any sense how there was explosions three quarters of the way up in the building. And then all of a sudden, these firefighters who were in the lobby prior to going up the stairwell, right? Obviously, that's where the command post was. And then whenever they decided, you know, it was too dangerous to continue, once they reached the peak and heard about the mayday about the second building, they come down. Everything's cleared out. Everything's charred. It looked like an explosion. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense unless they were trying to weaken the building. I mean, I don't know. Spitballing here? I mean, if, if we're talking about things that make sense and things that don't make sense, one... Look at the way the the towers fell. I mean, if they were hit by planes the way that they were, the way that everybody saw that they were hit by, you know, the planes, that that doesn't give way to what the bottom structure. There shouldn't have been any integrity. Should, the integrity shouldn't have been right compromised. It shouldn't have been compromised. There's the no way, and there's no way that those towers are going to collapse straight down. It's just not going to happen unless the only time you see something like that, Jeff Rowe, is when it's done by demolition. It, what would they describe as a free fall, which is where they explode the bottom layers first so the weight of the building can collapse on its way down. Which is exactly how they collapsed. Right. Which is exactly how Tower 7 or Building 7 collapsed as well. And there's a lot of proof under that, and I'm sure we're going to get into that as well. There's a lot of material to cover here, but we kind of wanted to give a voice to maybe some of the people who were there and experienced it that haven't gotten a lot of play because people in the news media are afraid to play some of these clips. you got to remember, these are the clips that were recorded on the ground You know, immediately, very shortly. These are witness witnesses talking about what they heard and what they experienced in the moment you know, hours or, or, you know, minutes after it actually happened. Sure. Not something that can be buffered and, you know, scrubbed and cleaned up and, oh, no, you didn't hear that. That, you know, an interview they can get off of somebody, you know, a week later. Right. Let's uh, let's cut this piece out. Let's paste this piece. And you know what? By that time, you may as well just scrap the interview. This is raw footage. So let's let's play a few more. All right. And we heard the noise uh, associated with an implosion. Secondary explosion on Tower 2. Some sort of explosive device. We're obviously having a bit of trouble right now maintaining our location because we just heard one more explosion. There was another major explosion. Do you know anything about those extra explosions we heard? No, I do not. Were they car bombs? I have no idea, ma'am. The string shook and I heard like an explosion. Do Do you know if it was an explosion or if it was a building collapse? To me, it sounded like to me it sounded like an explosion. We heard a very loud blast, an explosion. They were taking photographs and securing this area just prior to that huge explosion that we all heard and felt. Not clear now is why this uh, explosion took place when there was some sort of collapse or explosion from street level as though it had exploded up a giant rolling ball of flame and the firefighters screamed run it was this blast of warm air it wasn't hot it was warm and it picked me up and threw me up against the wall of the building i was you were picked up off the ground physically picked up off the ground 
remember an explosion. At that point, I got knocked out. I don't remember anything. Then I got up, and I looked out the window because the windows exploded, and the street below caved in. And at that point, there was like fireballs coming up. An hour later than that, we had that big explosion from much, much lower. I don't know what on earth caused that. About 15 minutes after they made their entry, uh, we heard a boom. I don't know if that was the infrastructure that was going or another explosion. Uh, again, there has been a second explosion. John, just seconds ago there was a huge explosion and it appears right now the second World Trade Tower has just collapsed. All of a sudden I heard rumbling and we all started running away from it. The glass like blew out and threw me onto the sidewalk and I, I couldn't see for like 20 seconds. It was like, it was like holy hell coming down upstairs. And then when we, go, we got, finally got to the bottom, they were coming out on a mezzanine level there. And another explosion came right from it because everyone flying. We stuck on the stairs for a while. We finally got down to the lobby. Then we get to the lobby, it was this big explosion. So I was real lucky. I don't know what happened to the people behind me when that blast occurred. And uh, it was actually on the uh, 78th floor of the uh, second tower and was evacuating the tower and uh, experienced all these explosions and made his way back down. We presume because of the initial explosion, there may have been secondary explosions as well that were detonated in the building by these terrorists. There was a secondary explosion, probably a device either planted before or on the aircraft that did not explode until an hour later. I heard a second explosion and another rumble and more smoke and more dust. I ran inside the buildings, the chandelier shook, and again, black smoke filled the air. Within another five minutes, we were covered again with more silt and more dust. And then a fire marshal came in and said we had to leave because if there was a third explosion, this building might not last. They were having coffee in the World Trade Center when the first plane struck. And all of a sudden it sounded like, I don't know where the subway is, but it sounded like a subway collision, a bomb, and it, it, it was just pounding, boom, 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 and I, I literally thought the subway had exploded. And The ladies that are with me were in the World Trade Center on the, on, in the first building and escaped through the lobby where they report they believe there was a bomb in the lobby. Just get out of the tunnel and the The subway tunnel? Yeah. Yes, I was right there. I was in the I was down in the basement. Came down. All of a sudden, the elevator blew up. Smoke. I dragged the guy out. His skin was hanging off, and I dragged him out and I helped him out of the to the ambulance. And when I got up to the concourse level, it was just like, you know, like gunfire, and then and then just three big explosions. So, three big explosions is what he just said. So all of these eyewitnesses who were there who were at this location when this incident happened, we're talking about feeling tremors, explosions. One woman even mentions about how she, it felt like the subway had exploded or collapsed or something, right? Yeah, one gentleman talked about the the uh, street collapsing right. at the beginning. But I'm so confused, Mario. This was a plane crash incident, and the tires came down through a pancake you know, can't they talk about it? The reason why it collapsed was because the weight of the top couple floors, and then that weight, you know, subsequently caused the collapse, and then it, the subsequent weight just kept adding up and adding up and adding up. That that's the official narrative, but that's not what these people were talking about. Everybody's talking about multiple explosions. Everybody's talking about the ground collapsing. People were talking about explosions underground, underground in the subway. These this. This is raw material that people are experiencing 
real time. These a lot of these interviews were taken real time right there. Yeah. But we have to dismiss all these interviews. Well, these personal these, experiences. Yeah, a lot of these interviews never made it to mainstream media. Obviously, no. no. Um, a lot of cut. these they were cut. They 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 weren't allowed to speak of these things publicly. Um, which, in a way, at that time, nobody knew what the hell was going on. The only thing we knew at that point, after second plane hit, is that we were under attack. But you and I continue to question and ask, who were we under attack from? And the more we dig, the more we find out that mm, things aren't always as they seem, and that the story is not always as it's told. We we mentioned about these towers being what what I say seven floors underground seven floors. Well, I mean for for those of us who live in rural areas, and I explained this a little bit with my experience in the last podcast, it, we don't always think about the subterranean layers of, right. of skyscrapers. You know, with my experience, I know in Pittsburgh, whenever I went to school there, you have subterranean tunnels everywhere. There are shops under there because a lot, of, especially in these northern these northern cities like. You know, New York, Pittsburgh, you know, Cleveland, whatnot. Well, there's got to be a whenever good base it snows, structure, right? right? Well, whenever it snows, it's an easy way to get through the city. You know, while the weather is terrible up top. So, but yeah, they're like you're saying. The thing that is never focused on are the subterranean shops, the subterranean layers, the base layers. It wasn't just what was above ground, like you're saying. So there's a lot of these cavities which is what I think you're kind of alluding to. A lot of these cavities below ground that aren't always considered when this discussion is had. Right. And that was my point there. Exactly. Is because what these people are explaining is explosions, not only in a lobby, but underground and many different eyewitnesses talking about construction. And you and I have always talked about, you know, there's always construction going on in these big buildings, but particularly here during this time, obviously, there was construction going on, witnesses of explosions underground. Right. One guy even references that uh, he was referencing something along the lines. He heard pop shots or what looked like, sounded like gunfire. Right, gunfire. So that would be something akin to, you know, you know, small charges, right? I, I mean... Maybe like a thermite charge, would you say that? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, I just... It doesn't... I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm... I'm confused. This doesn't sound like anything that the the regular narrative that we've been fed. None, none of this information makes sense. It, it doesn't. It doesn't match the experience that these people had on the day of. Right, and the stories that were being told of. They, none of it matches. None of it makes sense. And I think that was one of the first things. After the shock of what happened, when everybody was witnessing this, and I'm, I'm kind of going back to, you know, what everybody had seen, and the people there, the eyewitnesses there, when, when you go back and you, you try to process what's going on and what happened, you don't think about those details, right? And I highly doubt anybody on the, on the ground, ground zero, was thinking about, oh, well, what exactly is going on? No, they were thinking, get the hell out, it, this is... This is uh, this is disastrous, right? right it's a period I could have of trauma. My life, right? Yeah. So now that they've had time to process what's going on, let, let's go down the road. Maybe uh, we'll say a year. Give people some time to process what happened. Um, a lot of questions arose from all of this, right? And it, and it seems a lot of these 
personal experiences are trying to be swept under the rug, you know, and people are still coming out with these traumatic experiences, even though you have investigators talking about how things never happened, even though, or, or at least the way the eyewitnesses experience, they're trying to change sort of, you know, in specific details. Well, and again, in specific details, there are so many answers or, or so many questions that cannot be answered other than just believe what we're telling you, right? And one of those things, and I'm going to go down this road, one of those things was the steel beams. These had, these towers had structural steel beams and they were they were fireproof or they were shot with fireproof and uh, like asbestos type of a fireproof um, coating all over them for such an occasion. Well, what if there was a fire? Right. To to date, this was the first time any skyscraper, any steel skyscraper had ever been compromised to the point that it was by fire. There, there had never been a skyscraper that had tumbled because of, because of fire. fire. Right. Not like that. We're not saying that skyscrapers haven't been caught on fire. There have no. been a bomb set off. A lot that, of times they catch happened. on fire, right? And a lot of times they even have bombs deployed, but it never brings down the structure the way these towers were brought down. No. And there was even studies done about the jet fuel because it was the first net narrative, right? Right. So what? Once these towers collapse, what happened to the steel? The skeletal structure should still be there, if nothing else, right? Maybe exactly. the tower compl- doesn't completely fall down. But as you were saying, well, the claim was the weight. Okay, the weight falls. One, it's not going to fall down in a demolition type of manner straight down the way that it did. Two, I, 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 the steel beams should still be present, though. Is that kind of where you're should, going? Yeah, they should still be right. present. If it at collapse. Least, at least right. in a subterranean. If, 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 if it collapses, excuse me, if it collapses... The beams are going to be there. They're going to be bent. They're going to be you know, disfigured, mangled, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the subterranean uh, of it all is still going to be there. Right. But there was a problem with that. Right. There was a big problem with this. And the problem with that is, is there were so many eyewitnesses talking about molted steel. And there was a, a study done about the jet fuel. And this is you know what Cartman was talking about in the beginning of the episode. <laughs> jet fuel... It cannot get hot enough to melt steel, let alone... What was it, 500 degrees jet fuel can get to or something along those lines, but that's not hot enough for steel to, to right. burn? Well, or, even steel that was coated with flame retardant. Right. Come on. This is not making sense. But we do... Uh, but these eyewitnesses that were being told there was no molten steel were being told that there was never any molten steel. And we're talking about police officers and firefighters. Right. And, and we actually... Where do we hold credibility? Exactly. Well, they they were heroes, right? Sure. And we actually have a clip for that, right? Explaining yeah. all of this. Yeah, it was a short clip of uh, there was an investigatory sort of board talking about why oh, did the structure? Gosh, NIST. Yeah. The same. The the head members who were uh, <laughs> who happened to be put on the uh, the Obama administration and Bush administration cab, you know, their the parts of their cabinets. So you have your own people looking into what happened 
of what you're being accused of. I mean, it's no different. I mean, let, let's let's step out of the box here. Let's you and I talk about uh, conspiracy theories, right? Let's you and I talk about, uh, let, let's hypothetically say there's a murder out there, right? Let's say there's somebody who, or, or maybe not a murder, maybe child, maybe like a trafficking or a sex ring like Jeffrey Epstein. Let's say he hires his lawyer and his lawyer happens to be a family member of an FBI director. And let's say, well, you know what? We're just going to give you a little slap on the wrist and we'll let you out of jail in, what, what was it, like six months or something? Not to mention that you could be out of jail for work time and do whatever the hell you want, but make sure your ass is back here right around 6 to 8 o'clock because everybody has that kind of freedom when they go to prison for you know, having sex with minors. I'll do you one better. It's kind of like... Uh... When investigating the possible release of a virus and a laboratory is funded and got grants by the WHO and yet the person sent by the WHO to do the investigation, Mr. Peter Daszak, I think his name was, Mm -hmm. is the one that's sent to the lab to find out whether or not there was a leak. This same guy that funded the research. So you're able to cover your ass because you send the one guy that knows... Yeah. What actually happened? One hand washes the other, but yeah. the evidence does not support your hand washing. So let's play this clip for yeah. the steel melting, right? The steel melting. If the official story was correct, then the heating that was supposed to cause the failure would have been a, a much slower event, and it would have been an asymmetric event. For the tower to collapse straight down onto itself is flies in the face of what we know about steel and how steel behaves. When we have a failure in one area, then the failures tend to, to continue within that area and you see an asymmetric collapse, possibly the, the upper section falling off as it twisting away from the tower and falling off. But it, it's very unusual to see the upper section falling straight through the path of the greatest resistance, which was straight down through the middle of the tower. It, it, just, it, it does, just does not add up. Molten metal exceeding 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit was discovered in the rubble of Ground Zero underneath the Twin Towers and Building 7, even with heavy rain on September 14th and 21st. A constant stream of fire retardants and water, described as creating a giant lake, these fires would not be extinguished until December 13th, 2001, making it the longest burning structural fire in history. Was the jet fuel responsible? Dr. Frank Gale, who was working with NIST, claimed in 2005, your gut reaction would be that the jet fuel melted the steel. Indeed it did not. The steel did not melt. The temperatures that we know existed within the the collapse, within the debris pile, are physically impossible from an atmospheric jet fuel fire. cannot be done. I'm curious about uh, the, the pool of molten steel that was found in the bottom of the, of the towers. Um, I, I am too. And <laughs> just tell me about it. Have you seen it? Well, I, not personally, but my witnesses there found huge poles of molten steel beneath the towers. And uh, scientists, some scientists don't think that the uh, collapse of the building could have melt, melted all that steel. Um, first of all, let's go back to your basic uh, premise that there was uh, a pool of molten steel. 
Um, I know of absolutely nobody, and no eyewitness who said so, nobody who's produced it. Uh, I was on the site, I was on the steel yards, so I can't, I don't know that that's so. You'd get down below and you'd see molten steel, molten steel running down the channel rails. Like you're in a foundry. Like lava. Like, like, like lava. Lava. Underground, it was still so hot that molten metal dripped down the sides of a wall from Building 6. However, they do hit hot spots occasionally, and everything stops. There were fires of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit below the ground. I can't, I don't know that that's so. There's uh, a video so of it. It's around 2,600 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I think it's probably pretty difficult to get that kind of uh, uh, temperatures in a... Um, uh, in a fire. Well, NASA pictures, uh, thermal uh, images showed those those sorts of temperatures in the basement. Could you send them to me? Okay. My name is Mark, and I'm the individual who was questioning Dr. Gross, and he asked me to email to him those thermal images. When I approached him after his talk to get his email address for that purpose, he refused to provide it to me. I think this is important because it reveals the attitude of the NIST investigators, which is one of willful ignorance of what really happened on 9-11. So, Jeffro, jet fuel does not melt steel? It doesn't burn out a high enough temperature. Hmm. So, there were eyewitnesses who claimed to have seen molted steel. Right. Yeah, and explain that clip we just played real quick. At the very beginning, there was a scientist that was disputing that there, you know, wasn't molten fuel. Then there came an investigator well, was, at yeah, a press the, conference. The right? NIST guy. He was the NIST, the NIST guy. guy. And then right after that clip, after he claimed there was no eyewitnesses, there was police officers that jumped in there that said there was molten lava and then went back. So just, just so, because there was no way to transition to let right. the audience know who was talking. and But that was the gist of it. And the reporter here at the very end of the clip says, I challenged him on this data. He said to send him the information. And he sent him the, the information. The reporter sent him the information. and never got any response. Well, he so, wanted the guy's email. And right. he, he waited until okay, after yeah, the report. Right. He said, you know, we'll exchange emails. You can give me that information. And he declined to give him his email. Right. So it's like, I don't know. People don't want to know. And like they said, it's nefarious that they don't even want to answer the questions or they want to avoid their willful, willful ignorance. Right. I mean, instead of acknowledging proof or, or simple logic from what you like, this guy was saying, you know, we have NASA uh, thermal images showing what temperatures this was burning. 2000 plus degree temperatures right. in the basement area, which doesn't make sense because jet fuel doesn't burn. At those temperatures, no, is what it he's saying. So he he goes to the NIST uh, reporter, right, and tells him, you know, I have footage of this or proof of this. You know, I'd like to, you know, share it with you. Oh yeah, go ahead, share it with me. I'd love to see it. And then he goes to do that, and the guy blatantly turns him away. It's like you know exactly what you're doing. You're covering you're covering up for what has actually happened here, which it makes complete and perfect sense. To think that the theorists out there, or critical thinkers, as right. I like to say, that there was thermite planted maybe days, weeks, or whatever ahead of this time so that these structures would fall. 
the steel would melt, the structures would fall almost like almost like a demolition. And now if you're going to have a demolition like that, you can't just blow it up because then people are going to be looking for bombs or this, that, or, or whatever. The only thing that they could do is come up with the idea of, okay, let's have a, a hijack, a plane hijacking, fly it into the tower, have the fuel, you know, that, that'll be the claim. The fuel falls down in through the tower, which it, it burns so hot it melts steel, which we all know now that, that that's not the case. That's not what happened here. It's, right. it's impossible. The scientific proof does not back that. But the theory of thermite on steel... It's a little different. Right. And why why do you keep saying thermite? Why is thermite always thrown around? Well, the the temperatures at thermite burns at, it burns up to four thousand degrees. Whereas jet fuel only burns at five hundred degrees. So that's why if anybody out there is questioning why do you guys keep talking about this material thermite? Well, because it burns at an exponentially high temperature. And it's it's been used for demolitions in the past. Sure. So, you know, and a lot of this information is very interesting to me and, and new to me because I'm, uh, I've known a lot of different subject material about, you know, the nine eleven. But you've schooled me on a lot of this information with a lot of these different videos, and we want to propose the fact that the narrative that we're giving doesn't match the the personal experience. Of the people that experience this on the ground the day of. If there's one thing that you can bank on, it's it's constantly that the narrative that you're that you're given by mainstream or by the administration, even at that time, or the administration afterwards, because they honestly these these administrations work very closely together, even even through the transition, because we were in the midst of a war at that time, right? Well, no. I mean, at that time, no. The, I mean, the Iraq I, War was the result of this, but no. Right, at exactly. the time, we weren't. I think the most recent war prior to this was the Bosnia and Herzegovina War. Well, right? Pri- right, prior to this. But what I'm saying is, you know, after 9-11, there was a war on terror. Right, right. So, you know, the idea that the country had to come together to, you know, face a common enemy. Uh, but it's interesting that you bring up the administration because we kind of kind of segue a little bit here. There. There's always been something that happened at the time of this that never really seemed to fit what they were trying to tell us all. And that was this story that had been rehashed more than once about President Bush claiming that he actually saw the first plane hit the towers. Right. Which is interesting because we even mentioned in the first, you know, the first episode of the series that no one saw the first plane because the first plane was an accident and people just saw the aftermath. The only people that had any footage of it was a a film crew of some sort, which that material wasn't released for a couple of days. Maybe even you were saying what up up upwards to possibly a week later that that information and that video footage even came out. And Bush made the claim that prior to going into the classroom he's seen it he saw it and he he quibbed about it and said oh man it must be a terrible pilot yeah what kind of idiot flies a plane into a building right which makes 
absolutely no sense at all. No, and and Bush even recently had, uh, and I know, I know this episode's full of clips, but when when he did this, <clears throat> excuse me, when he did this nice little Freudian slip here recently. I have. I know we've been we've been playing a lot of clips for this episode, but we got to play it again. He he makes a comparison of a war and the war in Ukraine, or therefore you know being started or whatever. And he makes the comparison to the war in Iraq, and everybody it was so cringeworthy. But the weird thing is, is he goes, <laughs> I'm. 70 some odd years old <laughs> and everybody laughed. It's like don't fucking laugh at that. What are you what are you talking about? This guy's just he's playing fiddle faddle with everybody who can hear him and he doesn't these people don't give a shit. They don't care. They'll tell you exactly what they're doing and they'll tell you right to your face. And that's exactly what happened here. Um and the setup is from uh, Crystal and Sagar Breaking Points, right? Right, right. They had a clip of this uh telling the story. So l- let's go ahead and play that. President George W. Bush accidentally saying, imagine one man uh, invading unlawfully Iraq instead of Ukraine. Let's take a listen. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. (laughs) Iraq, too. Anyway. He later goes on to say, I'm 75, and the audience laughs. There's actually really nothing funny about that That's the part that is the worst. Is like, yeah. I mean, I understand people in the audience are just, like, uncomfortable, but you destroyed an entire region. You killed hundreds of thousands of civilians. You sent our men yes. and women to fight and die for lies. Right. Um, this isn't—it's not funny. And the fact that he said that— What's weird— about that, Jeffro, is uh, as soon as George Bush made that statement, I felt compelled to read the short story, the short book, My Pet Goat, and I did so to the Dark Lord oh, Saturn. really? Yes. No! What the... F- what? Like, <laughs> a murderer doesn't confess to a murderer and go, <laughs> you know what? I'm 78. <laughs> Oops. What? Those were the war crimes that he committed over the Middle East. That's not to say some of the crimes that he possibly could be responsible for here. Well, I mean, we're talking about 9-11. I mean, if if you're willing to consider that as a war crime, I would. Well, yeah, I would too. And, you know, the reason why we're inserting all these clips real quick is because it's important that you guys get context where we're coming from. This isn't just two guys and... You know, middle of the country, just shooting the shit. It's not with, with with without any sort of context, right? This is information that's out there, and it, it took somebody like you to present it to me. I, here we are, twenty years later, and I didn't know some of this stuff. So, this information needs to be put out there so everybody has access to it. Yeah, I mean. And and regardless, eventually when you have a big lie, right, a lie can go on and on and on, and then you use certain things to cover up another lie, and then another lie, and then another lie, because you're getting caught up in your big lie. 
eventually the truth comes out, right? Yeah, I mean, the truth... There, there's so many sieves in this story. Right, exactly. And that's my point. It, it's it, There's so many things leaking about 9-11 and, and so many things that don't make sense. And that's really what it is. I mean, you can deny, 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 which is something our government is really good at doing. And any administration who's been in office has always been really good at doing. It, it, it's, it's a group of criminals if that's what our government is it's a group of criminals i don't care if you're talking about the left or the right they're all working together and they're just in this giant butt fuckery of a system it's right? a one percent cartel sure and what happens is you know they make these decisions and these moves and these things happen for whatever reason maybe they have multiple reasons maybe they're about to get caught with their pants down and again like you and i always talk about everybody's so so expendable here um but there was a, a CIA agent who who died not too was it not too long ago whatever or after the fact right who tried speaking out about this and as soon as he spoke out about it on his deathbed which when the story you could look at it and say well is it true is it not true I don't know maybe this guy's just crazy uh, maybe he was on his deathbed and had nothing to lose maybe it was time for somebody to spill the beans maybe that's what happened and, and more often than not. We hear about deathbed confessions, right? I think there's even a series about it. It's called Deathbed Con- Confessions. And uh, this was one of them. Uh, Jeffrey, I sent this to you. I'm trying to find it here now. Do you remember what it was, what the guy's name was? I'm gonna. We're just going to keep recording. I've been looking, uh, looking for this. And uh, Malcolm Howard. Malcolm Howard. Okay, ex-CIA agent. Well, ex now because he's dead. Uh, He confesses to different implementations of... uh, What do you you call it? Demolition, right? Right. Before he was recruited into the CIA, he had engineering experience. And some of the things that he was assigned to do in the CIA had to do with explosive you know specialists and whatnot and he claimed that he was part of a cia operation dubbed the new century which was an operations between may 1997 and september 2001 and as soon as the story gets released and leaked what's the first thing that happens well the mainstream media has to cover it up and say it's not true snopes has to jump in which snopes which was you know snopes funded by the clinton foundation been over that as well had to jump up and say hey this isn't true so we live in a time where you have to wonder what's real and what isn't especially once you you realize that the things that you see around you and that you see on the news and in the media and where, where do you get your news where does anybody get their news and i think this was one of the biggest things that came out of 9-11 is because once once things didn't start adding up people started to question their own news broadcasters, their own government. People started to question all of these, all of these things, because so many things just did not make sense. It's like, what is happening? What's going on? Once the internet got more popular, and this is right around that time, also, people started to leak information. Well, so and so on Ground Zero heard an explosion, seen an explosion on the ground floor in the lobby. Well, that's not what the news is telling me. Well, 
Yeah, of course not. They're they're going to lie to you. They're covering it up. They're paid to. They they're listening. These news anchors are listening to their bosses, right? I mean, again, we go back to um, the Epstein story. Remember the uh, what was the ABC woman? Right. Was it ABC? I believe it was ABC. I believe it was, yes. When she said, we had all, everything to put this guy away and stop him from hurting you know, these minors. And the president of ABC had squashed it. Now, president of ABC as a news company, sure. But who owns ABC? <laughs> I wonder. Could it possibly be Disney? Yeah, it's the mouse again. It's the mouse again. So, once again, like previous episodes, uh, it was like two or three episodes ago, we were talking about the producer who was hired to do Zach and Cody after he'd been convicted of multiple cases of child rape uh, through Nickelodeon on a Nickelodeon show. He's brought over to uh, the Mickey Mouse Club of Pedophiles, I guess, to work on a show with children. Who makes these fucking decisions? I don't know, Mario. You, you, you kind of what, what you're saying is all these all these plots kind of weave together. They all weave together. Every one of them weave together, and most mostly everything that you and I talk about here throughout this podcast and the many different episodes that we do, we can find little bits of of strands and link all of these weaves to make a basket a nice gigantic basket of shit for all of our listeners here but one of the things that the cia agent did say and i quote was follow the money right yeah he actually had a few good quotes in this article Uh, he says at the time uh, the cia itself was still taking orders from the top and uh, he said another quote of his was he says CIA was taking orders from the top? From the top. Okay. So, you know, somebody probably in the Oval Office or somebody in the executive branch. He also makes a claim on, on here that when doing the job, we had to pretend it wasn't a demolition job. And he claims that he had no problem going through with the deception at the time because... Quote, when you are a patriot, you don't question the motivation of the CIA or the White House. You assume the bigger purpose is for a greater good. They pick good, loyal people like me, and it breaks my heart to hear all this shit talk. But as he admits, looking back, something wasn't right. And he says, no good has come from this. This isn't the America we envisioned. And what I find interesting about that is he's talking about World Trade Center 7, right? But if that's the case, in this article, if you guys get a chance to read it, he's talking about how they prepared World Trade 7 months ahead of time. And the reason why they were able to do that was because the CIA was renting a lot of different offices in this building. So it was easier for them to get materials in and out of it. Giuliani's office was in there. Right. But what's interesting is if they were planning on this being a covert demolition one has to think you're not going to bring down a building in the middle of a city unless you're going to make the population aware of it which brings to my mind the fact that they were going to do this covertly they these people who were setting up these detonation centers or you know whatever at some point they had to believe that at least 
you know, everything's compartmentalized in the, in the military right. and the government. Say compartmentalized. Right. At some point, they must have believed that there was going to be a, a demolition like during the night or whatever, right? They these this specific person probably had no idea about the other, you know, attacks. Right. But someone somewhere along in that chain of command knew that they were going to try to hide this in a predetermined attack of some kind. So it seems like this was a program that was set up beforehand, right? If they were preparing and they had a small group of agents dealing with World Trade Center, World Trade Center Seven. Because they were hoping, maybe they they were hoping that they could hide the demolition of this building in the midst of the towers coming down. So someone somewhere knew that there was going to be attack of some kind where they could hide it in the middle of attacks on the first two World Trade Centers. Right, much like you're saying, like the Pentagon. Right. So it it seems like a huge covert action. Basically, I'm trying to allude to the fact that. This wasn't an oppor- This wasn't a, a bit of opportunity of trying to. Well, it's like you you and I always say, you know, if the left hand's doing something, watch the right hand, right? What do you do when there's one, two, three, four, five, six hands working all at once? And that's what we had here. That's what happened because so many planes were hijacked, right? More than one building was was hit. More than two buildings. More. You get where I'm going here. Right. So many things were all happening at once. This was a prime opportunity to take care of more than one quote-unquote task and draw the attention away over and over and over and over and over again. Because once you're looking at the first building that got hit by a plane and everybody's like, oh my gosh, somebody hit the World Trade Center. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? Oh my god! Oh my gosh, a second plane hit the World Trade Center. We are definitely under attack. Something's going on. We are definitely under attack. What was that? What was that? The Pentagon was hit? Holy shit, the Pentagon was hit. What happened? Oh, a plane went down. They were headed for the White House. Hmm, didn't make the White House. Didn't make it to the Capitol. How convenient. Uh... But it goes down. Oh, my gosh. There were heroes on. What happened? Oh, the fr- the first tower went down? Holy shit. The first tower went down. It's always something. It's a domino effect. It, it, it's a, like a circular domino effect. And it just keeps going and going. And nobody knows where to asphyxiate their eyes and pay attention because they can't. Right. So it's input overload. Absolutely. And input that's, overload. And, and you just... You're getting, you're getting bombarded by so many different angles, so many angles that they hope that you're not even going to be able to focus on any single one. And what I was, you know, what I was trying to, I was struggling to say is, a lot of people want to claim that maybe this controlled demolition at Building Seven was just a happy accident, or you know, for the lack of a better term, taking advantage of the other two buildings. No, if if they were planning months ahead for the building seven to be taken down you can very easily assume that they were doing the same plans with a different group of agents for the other two buildings yeah definitely which and again makes sense whenever we start talking about molten steel and in like we mentioned thermite melting the steel and people seeing melted steel 
right? Registering temperatures from NASA, registering from, from satellites. And, and here's here's another interesting thing because you were talking about Building Seven and how Building Seven fell. No other buildings besides the World Trade Center in the vicinity fell. Why was it important for Building Seven to fall? I'm sure if we look into that a little further, and I'm gonna let, I'm just gonna leave that up to the listeners. I wonder, I wonder what was in Building Seven. No other buildings around there, Jeffro. No other buildings were hit by debris to make it. And that, that that was the excuse. Well, the towers fell, and some of the debris hit Building 7, and Building 7 fell. So you're telling me debris made this giant-ass building fall, just this one building, but none of the other buildings around it. Just this one building. Because there was debris littered all over the place. Everywhere. Everywhere there was debris. And what's even more than that, a reporter a reporter gave a report about building 7 falling while she was standing there building 7 was still standing behind her you're talking about the bbc coverage the bbc coverage right they were talking about what's going on and and she was claiming that another building had fallen and during her live report she had the background of the skyline of the city behind right. her and they cut her feed and they cut her feed because you could clearly see in the background, Building 7 was still erect. Yeah, she gave the story a little too soon. It's, again, we're talking about a possible script, yeah. right? They, they knew the building was going to come down. And right. They wanted to report on it. Uh, they just reported on it too. You know, there's a six-hour time difference between London and New York. So maybe, uh, maybe the time exchange caused a... Uh, difficulty in in the reporting of that. Maybe. I don't know. We do have that clip. Should we play it? Yeah, let's play it. We've got some news just coming in, actually, that the Salomon Brothers building in New York, right in the the heart of Manhattan, has also collapsed. Now, more on the latest building collapse in New York. You might have heard a few moments ago, was talking about the Salomon Brothers building collapsing. And indeed it has. Apparently that's only a few hundred yards away from where the World Trade Center towers were. And it seems that this was not a result of a new attack. It was because the uh, building had been weakened uh, during uh, this morning's attacks. We'll probably find out more now about that from our correspondent, Jane Stanley. Presumably there were very few people in the Salomon building when it collapsed. I mean, there were, I suppose, fears of possible further collapses around the area. That's what you would hope, because this whole downtown area behind me has been completely sealed off and evacuated, apart from the emergency workers. That was done by the mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Jane, I think many of us, when we heard the news, perhaps on the radio earlier today, were uh, completely flabbergasted by it and, and just couldn't un- comprehend it. I mean, it, was, it almost sounded too far-fetched. Um, I was wondering what it's felt like for you being in Manhattan. Well, unfortunately, I think we've lost the line with uh, Jane Stanley in Manhattan. Perhaps we can rejoin her and follow that up later. Where did CNN and BBC get their information, especially considering the building was still standing directly behind their reporters? So, Jeffro, there's, there's that. I mean, yeah. there's a reporter talking to an anchorman who set up the reporter to speak on a building that had collapsed in an area she was in. And he even claims she was in that area, downtown Manhattan. And there she is standing about a building that had collapsed 
With the building standing right behind her. Yeah, unbelievable. The, the, the whole scenario, the, the the entire scenario that happened that day seemed like a clusterfuck from, including how the information was being disseminated. It, it, it doesn't make any sense the entire day. And the official 9-11 commission that came out with their report, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. It, it, it's so, there's so many contradictory issues going on. It just, it makes no sense. You mean like another commission report about an assassination of a certain president? You mean like that commission report? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, they're supposed to release all that information. Oh, wait, they keep delaying the release of the official report, don't they? Every president. Every president keeps delaying it. Every every single president. Uh, but, Jeffro, you and I were also talking. You had some information that you brought to my attention about some cell phones. Yeah, actually, you know, continuing along the line of people's personal experiences, some new information that I was unaware of was the people on the planes. They actually, there are some reports that these passengers... At the time, we're talking 2001. Uh-huh. You know, cell phone talk technology, at least for the masses, was was still in the, in its infancy, right? You know, there were still there were cell phones, but there wasn't these large networks. And, you know, there was only so many towers. And at the time, you know, anybody who would fly at that time, the the service anything above thirty thousand feet, which is you know the the natural height that a plane a commercial flight flies at right reception is terrible static so as a workaround a lot of a lot of flight services a lot of airlines they had what were called airline phones like on board seat back phones. phones yeah right. and that story continuously seemed to evolve as new information came out and i actually uh, in, in researching some of the information for the Saturn material came across another David Icke video, and uh, we're going to play it. He he explains the story very well here, right? But but to to give people an understanding, he doesn't quite pronounce Verizon very no. well, and in, in in this clip, so just keep that in mind. He says Verizon. Verizon. It's it, what he's trying to say is Verizon because Verizon was the network that was putting these phones on right correct. on board. So let's go ahead and play that clip. Okay. Uh, what about black boxes, David? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, well, the black boxes have serial numbers. Uh-huh. Were, they, were they recovered? Some of them were. Uh-huh. Some of them weren't. None were recovered from the Twin Towers, so they claim, although some, some people that, that were, you know, working in the rubble uh, said they were found. what about the people who rang? So there was people on the planes who were ringing their relatives. That was one thing I always was, like, confused about, like... What happened to those people, when, when I try and use my phone on a yeah. plane, I can't use it. Oh, uh, well, depends on the atmosphere. I, yeah. No, but I, I, I'm, I'm not disputing... This isn't me coming from a conspiracy angle no. or anything. It, it, I just always thought, well... Because they, they, recently they apparently brought new technology and yeah. it's going to allow us to ring people on a plane. I'm yeah. like, well... That would just be really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but let, let, me, let me pick up that point before it disappears. Um, the um, stories of the calls from the plane are extremely in doubt, uh, especially when you're looking at the technology of 2001 mm. in terms of cell phones. And yeah. this, is, this is what happened. Before I, I, 4G. Everything I'm saying here, by the way, is all supported by factual detail in the book. Um, when the story first broke, the basically FBI media 
story mm. was that all these kind of um, phone calls were made from cell phones, from the planes, right? Then it was pointed out something you just mentioned. Hold on a minute. You can't, you can't make cell phone calls from that, um, from that altitude, altitude yeah. right? Um, and so what happened then is the FBI changed the story and started saying, no, they, they came from um, seatback phones known as air phones, which they used to have in those days. I used one on uh, one occasion about the same time, actually. Um, and they were in the seatbacks and you, they had a wire on and you pulled them out and you, you used a credit card and you could call the ground. They're called air phones. They're run by a company called Verizon. Um, and so suddenly these cell phones became air phones. But two things um, to that. First of all, um, a lady called Barbara Olson, who was an InVision contributor to CNN, she was married to the Bush administration's solicitor general called Ted Olson. And the official story is she was on Flight 77 and she made two phone calls to her husband at the Justice Department um, and, they, and told him what was going on on the plane. It's from those phone calls, alleged phone calls, that the whole idea of the box cutters came from. That's where they came from. Mm -hmm. And the, the only evidence, if you can call it evidence, that Flight 77 turned around in the Midwest and came back and it wasn't another plane was the Olsen calls. Oh, really? Those Olsen calls have no supporting documentation, either at uh, her end or the Justice Department's end, that they were and ever no, made. The, the one other thing, sorry to interrupt you, that to my knowledge, was there any recordings of the paths that the plane took or anything? Is there any proof like that? I mean, there are recordings. Of where like, as in, well, yeah, 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 but uh, again... You know, uh, it, it's, it's a long story, but in, in the book, I, I go through all this background about, you know, what, what was actually uh, going on or could have been going on. But here's the point. The official story was that, first of all, was that Barbara Olsen called her husband on a cell phone. And then you uh, look at the um, flight data recorder and, and it, impossible. So the story changed. And that's what you find with the 9-11 the story which I've been tracking literally since the day it happened, uh, brought out the first book on it in 2002. Um, when they're caught out, the story changes. So suddenly it became, no, she called on an air phone. That's how she did it. Right. Well, as I quote from the American Airlines, because it was an American Airlines 757, Flight 77, that's a quote from the American Airlines um, manual and uh, from uh, also pilots and cabin staff of the time the air phones had been taken out of American 757s by the time of 9-11. So there were no freaking air phones. They Sometimes used, the right? telephone calls will, will be, be false. false. Yeah. And wow. here's, an, here's another one. As there was a, a passenger on um, Flight 93 called Tom Burnett. And he called his wife. And his wife saw his cell phone number come up on her phone. Mm. So he's called her on his cell phone. Um. And then, according to the flight data recorder, when he called her, the plane was flying at between 34,000 and 40,000 feet. So the story changed. And in the official explanation, the FBI said he called on an air phone, which was still in United Airlines planes, which She's 93 like, oh, was. Got the call log. Yeah. But his cell phone number came up. Exactly. Another thing couple of the uh, uh, callers 
Um, one particular guy called Todd Beamer, he was the let's roll guy. And there's great doubt about whether he actually said Is that. The, uh, said that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds great flight, for a movie type. Yeah. Was flight that 93? on Flight 93? 93. All right, I'd, I'd be interested in what you, what you say about this. He didn't call his wife, although he could have done, because uh, the operator offered to put him through. But he, he stayed on the line to this operator, a lady called Lisa Jefferson, a Verizon airphone operator, for a long, long time. And she said, first of all, it was absolutely amazing because airphone calls were going down all around me. It was chaos because the, the uh, connections were breaking down everywhere. But his never broke down. Something else, because she's a, an, a, an airphone expert, works it all the time. She said um, that um, when the line breaks, there's a squealing sound, right? Well, that phone connection between her and Todd Beamer, uh, as is claimed, um, continued long, long, long after the plane was supposed to have crashed. And another caller, some parents taking a call from, from uh, uh, their, their relative, the same thing happened. The call continued after the plane was supposed to have crashed. And of course, the air phones get their power from the power of the plane. So the plane crashes, it's all down. The other thing, Todd Beamer's cell phone had 19 outgoing calls made on it after that plane was supposed to have crashed. I mean, all over the place, there are these extraordinary things that cannot be explained. And none of it was explored in the 9-11 uh, Commission report because they can't explain it. So what are, what are we then saying happened to those people that got on those planes? Because they were, they're all real people, aren't they? Yeah. Let me, um, let, let me give you a... Um, uh, some background to something called Operation Northwoods. And because uh, Operation Northwoods was basically um, a version of 9-11 in 1962. And then you can, you can see uh, the, 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 the themes, which includes passengers. In 1962, during the Kennedy assassination, um, there was a, a, a plan made to discredit Castro and Cuba to justify an invasion. Mm. Notice the, the common theme. And um, it was called Operation Northwoods. And this is not me theorizing and pulling out the ether. I'm quoting now the official American archive. And in the summer of um, 2001, a former ABC investigative producer called James Bamford came out with a book called Body of Secrets. It was, it was an investigation into the National Security Agency in America, the NSA. And in that research, he came across this these documents in the archive operation northwards and it was a plan uh, and in the end when kennedy found out about it apparently he said you must be joking and it, it wasn't played out but it was all planned to be played out and there was a guy who was head of the joint chiefs of staff the military the uniform level of the military in the pentagon called lemnitzer and he was orchestrating it all and this is what it says in these documents the plan was to um stage terrorist bomb and other attacks in major American cities, New York, Miami, two of those that are named, to um, have American military forces covertly sh uh, um, sink American shipping and to blame the attacks on Castro and Cuba to justify an invasion of Cuba. Now, this is the... This is the uh, big connection to 9-11. One of the things they planned, and it's described in detail in the documents, 
was that they were going to um, pick a plane flying a commercial route from an East Coast American uh, airport whose natural route took it over at very high altitude, obviously, um, Cuban airspace. And they were going to um, put on the plane passengers, and this is a quote from the, uh, the document, with carefully um, selected aliases. And the plane was going to fly down t- across Florida, going down towards Cuba. <coughs> and when it uh, got into Florida, another plane, the same type, painted in the same airline colors... A drone controlled from the ground, we're talking 1962, what Mm. technology did they have in 2001, was going to take off from the Eglin Air Force Base. It was going to go up close to the original plane, so basically the blips became one. And then the plane that left the airport with the carefully selected alias passengers was going to be landed at Eglin Air Force Base. The drone was going to go on the, the, the... scheduled route and it was going to be blown up by radio signal over cuba and it even says in the document and we will wait for the international aviation uh, authorities to tell us what has happened to obviously um keep uh, keep up the idea that it, we had nothing to do with it yeah. so that's what they planned in 1962 this is all fact this like is yeah. this is in the american yeah official Stone. archive exactly. right. um, uh, Operation Northwoods caught this before as well because it does add a lot of weight to what you're saying about yeah. 9-11 so what you're saying is there, the government has a history of possibly staging terrorist attacks with airplanes they had plans for this in Operation Northwoods going all the way back to the 50s and 60s with drone technology Drone technology in the 50s and 60s? Oh, what uh, the Skunk Works guy said back in the 1980s, whatever you think the technology is, we have the government's 40 years ahead. That's interesting. So what you're saying is many, many people, like David Icke had mentioned, believe that the planes that hit the towers weren't actually planes, they were drones. There's Listen, it... If there's a history of this happening, I mean, this was this this Northwoods conspiracy. I mean, it, and like he said, it's not a conspiracy. It's actually in the archives, you know, in, in the uh, Library of Congress. I mean, and just it's the correlations going on. In this story, also, I think is very interesting. Is because he talks about how the story keeps changing real time. Initially. Either the phone call about the box cutters came via cell phone, and then once they realized that story didn't pan out, all of a sudden it was the seat back phones. But the flight that she was on, the United flight, or was it the American Airlines flight that she was on, they had removed all the seat back phones. And then in the other story on the Flight 93, they're talking about how some of the people who were on the plane their conversations lasted long after the plane supposedly came down. And, and, and for people like a who... transmission. Yeah. For, and, and for people who lost family members, who knows? You know, I'm not saying that they're not heroes, you know, for those people who were on 93. What I'm saying is the story we're being told is not fitting the narrative 
that has been espoused out to the public. Right. And, but like you were saying with 93 and how it went down outside of Pittsburgh, there there was minimal to no debris found. Again. Minimal to no debris. No seats. I mean, I understand impact is impact, but you, you're going to find something. Many planes have crashed before. Well, not many, but I don't want to scare anybody from flying. But there have been commercial airlines that have gone down and crashed, and debris was found. Right. This case, there was none found at that crash site. None. The Pentagon, none Again. found. Very, very little, very, very little. minimal. Almost like a, you may, if there were debris from a, a drone, maybe? But- those out there who would question that, I would, again, direct you to history. Look look what they originally planned. And this was a plan that JFK was like, what are you guys talking about? He And he put the kibosh on that plan so fast. And, and what funny, happened to him? Yeah, and funnily, you know, funnily enough, ironically enough, it was just a month or two or a few months after putting the kibosh on this plan something happened to jfk I, 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 it slips to mind right now i'm not exactly sure what happened it slipped his too <laughs> but that's neither here nor there right wow i mean it's relevant it's definitely relevant and, and again the seat of power you know every, anybody who wants to challenge it finds right. themselves on the wrong side of history do they not <laughs> everything we talk about intertwines and everything we talk about if you don't ask, again, if you don't ask why, what are you doing? Okay? Don't just believe everything that you're told, again. And, and how can we when the story keeps changing? And we can't. No, that's 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 the point, though. The story keeps changing, much like the attack, constantly taking your attention away from focusing on one thing and being able to make sense out of it, which you can't, because there are so many other moving, working things at play. It's impossible to. And if you don't, you know, I understand people out there. It's, it's it's hard to believe. It's hard to swallow the fact that a government can make such an attack on their own people. Again, you're expendable. I'm expendable. We're all expendable. We are not important working parts of this this community or this continent or this world, right? I mean, we're not. We we just aren't. We're very very expendable. We're we're worker bees. That's what we're here for. It's what we're used for. That being the case, another thing that had come about after after the towers are down, the dust is not even completely cleared, you have to imagine there's all kinds of rubble, debris, cleanup, and what happens then? Well, then you start putting your worker bees out there. Right. Because these these higher ranks of power people who were implementing these things to happen all around you and all this control they're not going to clean up after themselves no they come in they blow their load and they fucking leave that's how it works and it's the worker bees that have to clean it up it's the worker bees who lose their family members and all of this it's it's them who have to go in and clean all this shit up and what makes it even worse then is when they're when these workers are in there they're compartmentalized again, like you and I were just talking about, so that nobody can, you know, in case something is found, they can't put it together. They're not allowed. Not only that, it's a dangerous place for them to be in. Well, yeah, I mean, the World Trade Centers were erected early 20th century, so a lot of the building material they used to erect it 
you know, including the insulation and everything else, or the fire retardant material. We were just talking about the, fire retardant asbestos. It's all asbestos. Yeah. So when the building like that comes down, I mean, I've heard stories where people weren't even wearing masks and they were told it was okay for them not to wear masks. Except for the politicians and, and higher ranks that were down at Ground Zero. They were all in hazmat suits. Yeah. <laughs> the workers were not. And, and you know what? We have... Another clip for that. I'm going to go ahead and play here. This guy's testimonial. Again, you know, we're taking a lot of clips from uh, a documentary called Loose Change. It's a, it's a very nice, uh, well, not nice, but it, it's an informative documentary. If you have a chance, check it out. But uh, we're going to play a clip from there. So, how was the largest and most puzzling architectural failure in history treated? The steel from the World Trade Center was mostly shipped overseas, eliminating any possibility of independent investigations. New York City's Department of Design and Construction contracted four companies for debris removal. Each was assigned a specific zone and controlled and monitored by a three-person team. The operation was so controlled that in November, each dump truck used for removal of debris was fitted with a GPS locator. One driver took an extended lunch break and was dismissed from the job. By April 2002, over 185,000 tons of debris had been removed from Ground Zero. FEMA's Building Performance Assessment Team was not even granted access to Ground Zero. They were granted a tour of the site in early October, but were forbidden from collecting samples or examining blueprints. Out of hundreds of thousands of pieces of steel, 150 were preserved at Fresh Kills Landfill from where FEMA conducted its investigation. When the Twin Towers came down, they released over 500 tons of pulverized asbestos into Lower Manhattan, along with lead, barium, mercury, chromium, copper, and several other toxic chemicals. 425,000 cubic yards of concrete is pulverized. 600,000 square feet of glass is turned into dust. During the World Trade Center's construction, Spray-on fireproofing comprised of concrete and asbestos was placed on the core columns. When asbestos was outlawed in 1971, they ceased this procedure at the 64th floor of the South Tower. The Port Authority eventually realized that the asbestos presented a problem and demolition was not an option. In 1989, the Port Authority estimated the removal of asbestos from both the World Trade Center and LaGuardia Airport would have cost up to $1 billion. By 2001, the cost for the World Trade Center buildings alone would have met or exceeded $1 billion. This money would sadly not be needed. Although it was clear that the air was not safe to breathe, the public was urged to return to Lower Manhattan. Wall Street opened back up on September 17th, and children were allowed to go back to school. Firefighters, police, and rescue workers were allowed to toil in lethal conditions using paper masks from Home Depot, while government officials walked around in hazmat suits. My name is John Field. Um, I was hurt at Ground Zero during the uh, cleanup. Wow, you know, I was only there for five days before I was horribly injured, and I mean horribly injured. Leading up to that day, Every day I was there, I uh, complained that it was an unsafe workplace. Someone's going to get hurt. It just happened to be me. But uh, I, let him, I, I let everybody know that someone would get hurt. I was there for five and a half days. Nobody told me to wear a mask once. Nobody gave a shit when that piece of steel altered my life. 
But like the thousands that are suffering and sick, I didn't roll over and play dead. And I know human life takes a backseat to the almighty dollar and that's what makes this country roll and run is the almighty dollar. But you guys somewhere lost, somewhere along the line lost your, uh, your credibility with me. The Environmental Protection Agency, under direct orders from the White House, told New Yorkers that the air was safe to breathe. The administrator at the time, Christine Whitman, issued an internal memo on September 12th, declaring that all statements to the media should be cleared through the National Security Council before they are released. So what happened? The White House changed EPA press releases to add reassuring statements and delete cautionary ones. September 13th, the EPA draft release, never released to the public, says EPA testing terrorized sites for environmental hazards. The White House changes that to EPA reassures public about environmental hazards. September 16th, the EPA draft says recent samples of dust on Water Street show higher levels of asbestos. The White House version, new samples confirm ambient air quality meets OSHA standards and is not a cause for public concern. And the White House leaves out entirely this warning, that air samples raise concerns for cleanup workers and office workers near Water Street. Why all these changes? We were told that a desire to reopen Wall Street and national security concerns were the reasons for changing the press releases. Christy Todd Whitman should be in jail for manslaughter. Christy, go to jail. Do not piss. Go. Just go to jail. Lock yourself up. Um, when I said that, everybody said, don't you think that's a little harsh? And I said, no. Six months later, every politician was saying it. Everybody was saying it like it was like saying hi. I pat myself on the back for having the nerve and the audacity to say that. She took orders from Condoleezza Rice, who took orders from the White House. They knew the air was bad. They lied. You should go to jail for manslaughter. For every time somebody dies, James Sedroga. Don Jones, Tim Keller, my close personal friend who I had to go to his funeral, Officer Borgia, and the many more that have died. I take this personally now. I take it real personal. You got a, an ex-mayor running for president who claims he helped us. Standing on a pile with a bullhorn, Mr. President and Mr. Giuliani, does not constitute helping anybody at all. The EPA's public release assured people that there was no significant level of asbestos in the air and that instead of evacuating, they could clean their homes with a wet rag. More people will die post 9-11 from these illnesses than died on the day itself. By 2006, 70% of the 40,000 Ground Zero workers had developed respiratory problems. Hundreds of them had developed cancer and over 80 had died. To make matters worse, a large majority of the victims from the World Trade Center were denied a decent burial and treated like garbage. A pile of approximately 500,000 tons of ash located at Fresh Kills Landfill contains 1,148 victims that have yet to be identified. Mayor Bloomberg has repeatedly denied family members' requests, replying, I've only visited my father's grave once. On top of all of this, Human remains were discovered up to 400 feet away from the South Tower, on the roof of the Deutsche Bank building. 300 bone fragments were discovered between April 7th and 14th, 2006, 
and more are expected to be found. Is all of the above possible with a gravity-driven global collapse? Were the Twin Towers brought down as a result of the airplanes that struck them and the fires that followed, or were they brought down in a controlled demolition? That is the question right there uh, with with the gentleman in the uh, documentary clip just ended on. Were they brought down in a controlled demolition? Were the buildings brought down in a controlled demolition? Or was it was it something else? What's going on? Because the, the, the things that we're seeing and the things that we're told that these towers were hit by planes, that the Pentagon was hit by a plane, and that's what the destruction is caused from, does not add up. It does not make sense. None of it fits. None of it fits. You... you you take an example of all these personal experiences and all these, you know, on the ground testimonials. None of it makes sense. None of the physics makes sense. None of the scientists that have looked at this make, you know, are able to determine with any sort of rationale that, you know, how did these beams become molten? Uh, It's a confounding subject matter because so often whenever you, present the questions or, or you even try to pose the questions of hey listen you know what what's your opinion on 9-11 do you think it was uh, do you think it was just a terrorist you know anybody or not anybody but a lot of people automatically say you're crazy you know there's no conspiracy on 9-11 but well, so honestly, many lives were lost people don't want to believe that they are that expendable by the own their own shadowing government that we, the people, have put in office, or, or so we're led to believe that we, the people, put in yeah, office. Right. Right? Which we've seen time and time again. That's just not the case. So who's in power here? Because if if you think that we, the people, are still in power, even now, we're not. And that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. Right. And, and suppression is the key, right? Like you were saying earlier, we're collateral damage. You know, individually, we're collateral damage. That's how the 1% look at us. And that's, you know, that's a subject matter that we seem to always circle back on. You know, the idea that we're told growing up that individually you're important. That, that's something that we need to hold, you know, value to. That's something that we need to express to our kids and, and everybody. But when we do that, it doesn't go up the chain of command. You know, the, those same beliefs that the common man has, the same beliefs and moral structures that you and I hold and, you know, the flyover state people and, you know, just the regular people hold, these aren't the same values that the people at the upper end, you know, the upper echelon, the, the one percenters, the people that live at the, you know, peak of the pyramid. Or even even those who have ill intent, like uh, serial killers and murderers, there's a reason why they do the things they do is because they don't value your life or think that you're that important. Right. Absolutely. And that's something that we constantly see. So for people to think that we've elected these figures to protect us, let me let me clear this up for you, everybody. We don't elect officials to protect us. We elect them to uphold our Constitution. Right. They're not there for your protection. No. They're supposed to be representatives. They're supposed to be civil servants. Which 
we're seeing so clearly now. It's the very opposite. So they're in our civil service. It's, it's very much so like we're at war with our own government. And we, we have been for quite some time. We just didn't know it. Well, the government it has a group of people that it answers to, and that's to its corporate donors. We're not we're not a war with the government. We're a war with corporations. Which happens to have the government in their back pocket. Exactly. So, yeah, that, exactly. That's their tool. That's their <laughs> weapon. Right. Well, Jeff Rowe, um, I think we're going to end this one here. And just to let the uh, listeners know, the listeners that we do have, we're going to continue this into another episode. We're going to so much information. Dive a little deeper into why. Why would all this happen? What is what is the good? There's never a good reason, but what what do these figures feel like is a good reason to make this happen? Uh, is it all financial, or is there something further? Um, could it have something to do with a possible Stargate? I mean, as crazy as some of these theories get, we're going to get into that also. Uh, some other things that we plan on doing, we're going to get into some more spiritual stuff as well after we clean up some of the 9-11 garbage that we're spewing here. And, uh, you know, I'd like to I'd like to dive into a little more of some foreign conspiracy theories because I know we got... I know we have listeners from other countries. Uh, Australia, our Aussie mates, love you guys. <laughs> uh, some of our... British fellows over there in Europe. We love them guys too. Um, and I'm all over the place here, but everywhere, you know, it seems that when there, where there's power, there's corruption and it doesn't just happen here in the States. So no. I'd like to dive a little further into some of those uh, different, different things as well as cryptids. Jeff, Rowe, we, we need <laughs> to get into cryptids, man. Yeah. We haven't even touched base on the cryptids. Have we? No, you know what? Maybe Nessie is a good one to start with whenever we do. The Loch Ness Monster. It's also foreign. Right. To us, anyway. Right? Alistair Crowley actually had a cabin at the the Loch Ness. Shut up. Are you serious? Dead serious. I had no idea. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, everybody... Just to give you a little tidbit, leave you on a nice little cliffhanger there of the things that we plan on doing, things to come. If this one didn't uh, spark your interest, I don't know what will, right? At the very least, you should question some things and look into some of this stuff. And if you find any information on Building 7 and what it held at one point, reach out to us. Yeah, let us know. Uh, Always question, you know, shine the light on the dark. Shine shine the light light on on the dark. That's right. Until then, buddy. Until then, brother.